begin this time of celebration, this time of honor, and uh, this wonderful time together. On behalf of the family of, Fa of Franklin and Shirley Bixler, uh, I'd like to welcome you here today and to thank you for making it your commitment to be with all of us today in community as we honor these two loved ones who mean so much to each of us. And for those of you who are watching via live stream, welcome. We're so thankful that you would take time out of your schedules to be with us as well. I'd like to begin this morning by reading three short passages of scripture and then having a word of prayer. First from Psalm 92, verses 12 through 15. The righteous thrive like a palm tree and grow like a cedar tree in Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they thrive in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age, healthy and green, to declare, the Lord is just. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. And from the Gospel of John, the 14th chapter, as Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples the night before he was to give his life, he told them, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will return again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus replied, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And finally, that vision that the Apostle John saw at the end of his life, in Revelation 21, the first few verses, he said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. And then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. Join me in a word of prayer, would you? Wonderful and merciful, Father of life, author of all that we see and all that we don't, we are grateful this day for the assurance from your word that you are and always have been working to take care of your children, to prepare a place for those who will faithfully serve you and walk with you. 
and to let us know that in that place there will be no more sorrow, no more struggle, no more trial. For we will be with you and you will be with us. We thank you for the lives of Franklin and Shirley. We thank you for the impact that they've had on every one of us in some special way. Thankful, Lord, that they have walked with you and now they're receiving, they are receiving their reward for that faithfulness in this world. Father, thank you for changing us through them. May this time be a blessing to those of us who gather. May you comfort the family with the comfort that comes from Jesus Christ. May you surround them and envelop them with the presence and the overwhelming assurance of your Holy Spirit as they seek to be comforted by you. And may this day be a blessing to those of us who gather to be our strength that we might carry on in faithfulness. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. My name is Victor Esposo, and I'm a pastor at Westside Christian Church, where Franklin and uh, Shirley Bixler served for many, many years. We celebrated their 50 years in the ministry there at Westside Church. And uh, on behalf of the Westside Christian Church in Long Beach, California, I'd like to uh, extend our deepest sympathy and gratitude to the Bixler family for the many years of service of Franklin and Shirley Bixler at Westside Christian Church. I myself was blessed uh, with their lives. Uh, Pastor B, as what we call him, and Mrs. B. Um, we went to PCC together in 1991 and 1992. We carpooled together. He would come to Long Beach, where I live, and pick me up and go to uh, Pacific Christian College. He as a professor and I as a, a student, taking my master's in ministry back then. And every Tuesday, we were never late going to our classes. <laughs> I know for those of you Westsiders, West you would probably remember that I always say how he drives in 91 Freeway. <laughs> but during those years, he never got any ticket as well. <laughs> we were blessed at Westside Church, and I know that many of you who were or are still Westsiders can agree with me on that one. He touched many lives and brought and led many people to Jesus Christ. And I am blessed to have him in my life and also have served him as well as Mrs. B at Westside Christian Church. Two weeks before he passed, we went and visited him, my wife and I, and uh, he requested a Bible, a bigger print Bible. So I went online and looked for a giant print. <laughs> And uh, he asked me to read a passage in the scripture when we were doing a communion. And one of his favorite ones is Psalm chapter 23, and it goes like this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. 
He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit. And I've been washed in his blood. And this is my
I bring greetings from Debbie, who can't be here. She's still in Southeast Asia. Um, I can explain why later. <laughs> but um, one of the things uh, I had done with Dad in high school was um, to memorize First John. And so, um, okay, this is harder than I thought. <laughs> I can't look at all you guys. But there were times where Don could attest that we'd be sitting in church and all of a sudden I would hear my full name and now Stephen Allen Bixler will come read the scripture. A couple of times, Don, that's you. Oh. So I'd walk up there and smile at Dad. What's the scripture? It, I already have it open for you. Okay, thanks. Um, so... Yeah, so Kath asked if I wanted to do something, and I said, read scripture. Uh, I'll read from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 till the end. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him and this is love not that we have loved God but that he had loved us and sent his son to be the sacrifice for our sins beloved if God so loved us we also ought to love one another no one has ever seen God but if we love one another God's love abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And you know, that's what a lot of you remember from uh, mom and dad. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Verse 16, so we have come to know and rely on the love of God that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God in him. By this, love is perfected in us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment, 
And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he, does not, he who does not love his brother cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is a commandment we have in him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. And that seems to be a very fitting scripture uh, as we remember mom and dad. Thank you.
I'd like to take a moment and read uh, the obituary that was written by the family to give you a kind of a quick synopsis of the lives of Franklin and Shirley. Shirley Claire Bixler and Franklin Olaf Bixler Jr. are survived by their three children, seven grandchildren, ten great-grandchildren, and a handful of great-granddogs. Shirley went to be with the Lord on February 1st, and Franklin joined her nearly seven months later on September 19th. They spent 67 faithful years by each other's side. Known to most as Pastor and Mrs. B, to their family they were Mom and Dad, Grammy and Papa. Frank was born on December 3rd, 1928, in Los Angeles, California. The men in his family held close-knit ties to the Italian Mafia, ruthlessly running the streets of the City of Angels. Quite often, a man in an Italian yellow car and expensive suit would take him to get candy at the corner store when he was a child. While he could have been the Tony Soprano of his day, his life took an alternate turn, a turn to the Lord. He studied and graduated from Pacific Bible Seminary in Long Beach, California. He held various senior pastor positions at Wilmington Avenue Christian Church in Compton and Victoria Street Church of Christ in Costa Mesa. While serving as an English professor at Pacific Bible Seminary, Frank was asked to serve as the head pastor at a small church in Long Beach. The year was 1966, and his mission was to see that the church closed its doors for good. However, rather than succeeding in his mission, he failed at that mission, by the way. <laughs> the mission given to him by his colleagues, he succeeded in a God-given mission to serve a community of people. Fifty-five years later, Westside Christian Church still lovingly serves its people and the local community. Thanks to his love of literature that he shared with those around him, we've entered the wardrobe to Narnia and had tea with Mr. Tumnus. We've solved perplexing mysteries with Sherlock and Watson. We've ridden on the Orient Express, and we've traveled with the Fellowship to save Middle Earth. Shirley Claire Eisminger was born on January 26, 1933 in Des Moines, Iowa. She moved to Phoenix, Arizona when she was three years old and lived there until attending college at Pacific Bible Seminary. Shirley and Frank were married on June 19, 1954 in Phoenix, Arizona. Shirley worked in a doctor's office as a medical assistant for many years when they were first married. Their first child, Kathy Lynn, was born on October 6, 1956. Stephen Allen was born July 28, 1958. And David Eric was born on July 18, 1963. 
while living in Costa Mesa, Shirley worked at Sonora Elementary as a teacher's aide, where she met her dear friend, Marshall Lyle. In 1991, she left Sonora and went to Killybrook Elementary as the school librarian, where she worked until she retired. There are truly no words to express everything Shirley was to those around her. Simply by being around her, we felt the light and grace that radiated from her very presence. Her wisdom was endless. A cup of tea with your gals and a good competitive card game can truly be life-changing. A piece of chocolate or red licorice can dry even the saddest of eyes. Grilled cheese is best without the crust and is always cooked with a sprinkle of love. The legacy they leave behind with their family and all those whose lives they touched is one of joy, radiating love, and community. And to that we say, amen. It's so good to see so many of you here today paying tribute to Franklin and Shirley and compiled with all who are watching via live stream. And as I see faces, it's, it's kind of like a whole home reunion time for so many of us. It's just a foretaste of what, actually what Franklin and Shirley are going through right now, being able to see each other again. And I'm reminded when I see so many of the breadth of impact that the Bixlers had in their lives. The different strata represented here and throughout time, either by age or ethnicity or any other category, I'm impressed with their impact. I just want to do this. I, I'm not sure how it's going to play out, but I want to try this. I, I want you to think back to when you first met the Bixlers, one of them or both of them, and then calculate how many years that's been. Now just hold it in your head. Figure it out. Use your fingers if you need to, because for some of us, we don't have enough fingers. Um, okay. <laughs> okay, now here's what I want you to do. If you've known Franklin and Shirley for more than 70 years, I'm just checking, I mean, <laughs> go ahead and stand, just in case. I wouldn't want to leave it. Okay. How about more than 60 years? Would you stand? Just so we can see. Check this. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's outstanding. Okay, you can be seated. That's, that's amazing. How about 50 years or more? Look at this. That's amazing. Thank you. How about 40 years or more? I put myself in that category. Yeah, lots of us there, right? Wonderful. 30 years? Very good. Thank you. 20 years or more? Outstanding. And if you met them this millennium, go ahead and stand. Anybody from 2000 on? Yes, all right. Yes, all right. I just wanted us to see how wide an impact they've had on people's lives, extending far more than half a century. And we're here as proof of that. You see, that passage in Psalm 92 talked about the tree that's planted in the courts of God 
that yields its fruit even in old age, still strong, still healthy. And that, to me, is a picture of Franklin and Shirley, and, and probably I'm going to refer to him as B more often than I have written down here because it just doesn't sound as proper at a memorial service, but since that's who he was to most of us, um, you'll understand that when I do. I know that there's no open mic time today, and I was told that the reason for that primarily was because of COVID, but there was a, there's another reason, and I know it's the real reason. You see, this church has a service schedule for tomorrow. And if we started sharing stories that we have, we would be here until they tried to open the doors for that, right? And so that makes sense. So here's what I'm, I got permission to do this. I want you, if you feel comfortable in so doing, and if you don't, I want you to do it anyway, uh, take a moment and think of one story, very short memory, just one, that, um, that you have of Franklin and or Shirley and turn to the person next to you and tell them. And then when you get done, they get to tell you theirs. Now, we're only going to take about four minutes, so each get like two minutes, all right? So it's got to be short, and it's got to be one, all right? So I just want you to take a minute and do that because I know we have those kinds of stories in our hearts and in our lives. So go ahead, put on your mask if you need to, and have at it. Four minutes. And if you are watching via live stream, I know that this is that awkward silence time. So if you're with someone, talk to them. If you're not, just share it out loud because it will do you good. If you haven't switched yet, go ahead and do that. Sounds like everyone's almost done, but just in case. Sounds like we're wrapping things up. And thank you for 
indulging in that because it's so good from where I'm standing to hear the chatter, to see the smiles, to hear the laughter, and uh, to know what a, a blessing lives can be to each of us. And one thing I was thinking was that our memories and stories are all unique, aren't they? There are no two stories that we have in here that are alike. The uniqueness of our stories reflect the uniqueness of our relationships with B and Shirley. And trust me, they knew that. They knew that we were all unique. They knew that we were all valuable, that we were all treasures, that we were not lumped together in any way, but each one of us had what it was that made us who we were that was important to who they were. And if we could share all of our stories, it would be like we were looking at a diamond from multiple facets, where each facet shows the light in just a little bit different way. And so there's a uniqueness in that and a, and a treasure in that. And I was thinking about uh, that picture again, and I was, and I was asking myself the question I, I want to put out today, and, and that is, how do we determine the legacy of those who come and go in our lives and upon this earth? How do we determine a person or a couple's impact or contribution to their world in the short time that is spent here in what we call life? Now, we know in the world, for some, it's, it's measured by wealth and acquisition and accumulation. For others, it's fame, popularity, and notoriety. And still others, it's achievement, accomplishment, and power. But for those of us who view life through a different kind of lens, the greatest markers we use to impact, uh, to measure impact, are faithfulness to God in relationship with Him and the influence that we pass along to others' lives who will be forever marked for good because of that time spent. And if we measure legacy in that way, then we understand that riches are not found in bank accounts and real estate holdings or country club memberships, but in the lives of people who have received and passed along that investment. Franklin and Shirley, let me tell you something. They are among the richest people, the wealthiest people you will ever know. And the value of their wealth is sitting here together today and is watching via live stream today and is living out lives while passing along what's been given to them all over the world. The Bixlers invested themselves in the two things that we know are going to last forever, the word of God and people. God's word was not their end. It was a means to an end. And it brought them into the presence of Jesus and allowed them to know him, not just know about him, but to know him and to know him deeply. And they devoted their lives to entrusting that word deeply into the lives of people, people like us, who would grow in our walk with Jesus and then turn around and invest it in still others. A number of us probably had more regular interaction with Franklin because he was a professor and pastor, and that's how I came to know him. I began my studies at Pacific Christian College in Long Beach, 1972, 
I came up from San Diego County with long hair, a few cares, and even fewer clues as to what I was supposed to do in my life. And Franklin Bixler, amen, that's right. And some of us are still looking for those clues, right? And B became my English professor to begin with, as he did for many of us. But I started making the trek pretty soon across the city of Long Beach over to the west side because he was preaching in a little church there that was to become like no other. And after a period of time, it really didn't take very long, he, he shifted. He just wasn't my professor. He became my pastor. And then, uh, along with many of us who were there during that era, uh, he became a mentor. He was the mentor. I think there were times where we were the tormentors, <laughs> for sure. And yet he was faithful to us in developing the character of Jesus in us. He believed in us. He gave us opportunities to do things that nobody in their right mind would have done. I never took a preaching class at Pacific Christian College because I learned to preach at Westside. And again, I'm sorry to all of you who were there during my first lessons. But that's where I learned to preach. I learned to preach by listening to somebody and following somebody who taught me how to preach. He believed in us and gave us chances to be what we, we didn't even see in ourselves sometimes. And as a mentor, then we shifted into the time when he became my boss. And from my boss, we became co-workers. And he was always my father in the faith. Because I didn't have a dad in my teenage years. And, and when I met him, he ended up filling shoes he didn't even know he was going to wear. And yet he, he grew me up in so many ways. And as a co-worker, he became that friend who stays closer than a brother. And he was in all of that a brother in Christ. What an impact. And that's just on like one piddly life here. How many more people he did the same kinds of things for and surely did the same kinds of things for just by the way they lived their lives. You know, Franklin may have been up front in the pulpit, but we all knew who ran the show. <laughs> we knew who the driver was that made him who he was, right? You guys know that, right? He, and he was the first to admit it, by the way. In fact, there was more than one time where he would tell me that he selfishly hoped that he would leave this world before she did because he couldn't see himself going on without her. He, they almost pulled it off. They, they came pretty close, and so that was a good shot. But, uh, you know, the good news now, the great news now, is that they are in the presence of Jesus, that they no longer need to walk by faith. Their faith has been fully realized. Their faith has been made sight. And they walk with him now, knowing fully, even as they are fully known. I love the fact that Stephen read from 1 John 4, because... The topic of love was always on the table in B's life and Shirley's life, the things that they taught, the way that they walk. And I looked through the book again. I've been reading through it recently. And I, and I found 
some truths, just three truths among many. Because B would go over these things with us just casually as we would go through life together, talking about different principles. And 1 John was a favorite place. And let me, let me share those principles with you today because they embody the lives and the ministries of Franklin and Shirley. The first, and we heard some words from this, the, the fourth chapter that speak to this, is the priority of love. In verses 20 and 21, John says, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For the person who doesn't love his brother he has seen can't love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him, the one who loves God must also love his brother. How can we love each other without knowing a relationship with God first? Because because what John is saying in this is that the way we treat one another is the measuring stick of how well we know God. And without love for each other, we give evidence that we don't really love God. If we have indifference toward each other, if we have disdain for each other, then we can't love God because we can't love what we don't see if we can't love what's right in front of us. Boy, he told us that all the time in so many ways. They lived out a kind of love that was really a type of umbrella for other qualities that were akin to it. Accepting each other just like they were without expecting them to conform to a status quo. When we had young people who started coming to church wearing overalls and curlers and barefooted, yeah, you know what? They came. When one young man would fairly consistently on Sundays, get up and walk down the center aisle while B was preaching and have to pass right in front of the pulpit because I was on the right-hand side to go out the doors to use the bathroom, totally unaware of what was going on. You know what? It was just West Side. And it was okay. You know why? Because he was there. And that's what mattered. That's what mattered more than anything. That umbrella includes forgiving those who hurt and offend us, even as Jesus forgave. It includes making time for people, especially those who are too often and too easily overlooked in this world. It involves considering other people as more important than ourselves and making sure we seek their needs above our own. That's something they did all the time, sometimes to their own detriment, right? Making sure other people were taken care of. 1 John 4, 7, beloved, let us love one another. That was like a life mantra for me. He, I, I can remember him speaking that out from the pulpit more than one time. Their words and their actions showed us that because the color of our skin is not an issue with God, it cannot be an issue among God's people. Therefore, bro- uh, brothers, beloved, let us love one another. They showed us that because God cares infinitely, infinitely more about what we are rather than what we were, therefore, beloved, we need to love one another. They showed us that because God doesn't define us according to our socioeconomics, where we've come from or what we've done, but he's far more concerned about where we're going and what we will do. Therefore, beloved, we must love each other. 
They showed us that because our opinions, our viewpoints, our prejudices, our biases, and our party lines pale in comparison to the unity to which we are called as one people in one body, serving one Savior. Therefore, beloved, we must love one another. And they showed us that because so many in our world hunger and thirst for an authentic picture of the love of God, and because Jesus said there'd be one way they would see its authenticity, therefore, beloved, we must love one another. And this kind of love dovetails into the second principle that they modeled, and that would be the practicality of love. Not only its priority, but how it plays itself out. In chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, John says, If anyone has this world's goods, and he sees his brother in need, but closes his eyes to his need, how can God's love reside in him? Little children, we must not love with word or speech, but with truth and action. Bixler's always showed us how love needed to be expressed in tangible ways in order to be valid and to be authentic. You know, we know their home was always open, right? If you wanted to come, the door was always open. We had a ton of dinners there, and Shirley was the greatest cook, and, and B enjoyed it very much, and, <laughs> and so did the rest of us. I can remember we used to have um, tax day parties, so uh, be, because there was a propensity to put off filing taxes to the last minute, for a few years, B would invite us down to his house on April 14th. And we would spend the evening with some food prepared and worked on our taxes, and he would give us all of his expert advice in the tax code, which really was about that much. But, and, and we turned it into an event. We turned it into a party. And then we would drive over to the post office and hand deliver it, make sure it got there. And that was, that was something, I don't know if you ever look forward to doing your taxes, but that was something that, that we looked forward to doing just because of the relationship that was there. I more than once watched Pastor B give away the last dollar that he had to somebody in need. And I knew that many times there was a little margin in his life to do that. But he did it willingly because he knew that God had given him in abundance. And he knew it was his place to give back. He taught me that opening your wallet is as sacred and as spiritual as opening your Bible. Sometimes maybe more so. They always had a special place in their hearts for broken and wounded people, no matter where they came from. The up-and-outers and the down-and-outers. It's all the same. Those who came to them from the church and those who came from the streets all received the same level of love in a practical way. He taught us that the greatest theology that you can possess is meaningless if it somehow doesn't transfer to be able to help that single mom who doesn't know how she's going to make it to the end of the month. or to minister and meet the needs of that widow who is emotionally just trying to hang on. Or if it does not speak to that young person who struggles to find meaning when their world and their family and their lives is racked with brokenness and havoc. Love must be practical. They knew that love was the glue that kept relationships strong 
And those relationships would be the key to authentic church growth. I will always remember a story that, that he shared with me very quietly one day. I, I know it wasn't anything he was bragging about, but he was in a car with some other ministers, pastors, and they were going to a regional ministers meeting. We used to have those things back in the day. And as they were in the car driving, these fellows began talking about what was going on in their churches. And it was always, you know, we had this many people and this much stuff, and it, and it almost became a, a kind of a one-upsmanship sometimes. And as they circled around the car, it came to Franklin. And they said, so Frank, tell us what's going on at Westside this last week. And very quietly, and, and not in a way to shut anything down, but just speaking the truth, B quietly said, last week, one of our elderly widows learned to pray out loud. It was quiet in the car for quite a distance because suddenly they were brought back to the truth of what really matters. And it's the relationship in people's lives. Finally, Frank and Shirley, more than anything else, they knew the source of love. And they demonstrated it by the way they lived. These other things that we talk about, that the love's priority and how practical it has to be, can't even exist if you're not connected to the source. Because they knew it wasn't about being good. Being good enough is never good enough. Because that never gets us where we need to be in our own strength and in our own power. And so he pounded home in his loving and gentle ways the, uh, the truth from 1 John 5, 11 and 12 to us. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. The one who has the son has life. The one who doesn't have the Son of God does not have life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. They knew that the very essence of life was found in the person of Jesus. Not just in right living, not just in trying to keep up a standard, not just in being in church, but knowing Jesus wasn't about being good, it was about being godly and about knowing the one who gave them the source of love. They understood that you could get everything in the world, but if you didn't know the author of life and the source of love, you would have nothing. And they believed that because Jesus told us that when he said, what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and yet in that process forfeited his own soul? They were Christ-centered people who lived out a Christ-centered marriage. They raised a Christ-centered family. And they made a Christ-centered impact in their worlds. And they understood that as they lived with that centrality of Jesus in their lives, they had assurance that eternal life was there. They read the promise. He who has the Son has life. Period. But the person that doesn't have the Son of God does not have life. Again, period. So it all came down and it all comes down to the question, do you have the Son of God in your life? Because if you do, then you're assured of a life that extends beyond this world, beyond this grave, and into eternity. And if you don't, the best you have is to be able to cross your fingers and hope for the best. 
And God never intended his people to live like that. He wants us to understand that eternal life can be ours and it begins when we walk into a relationship with Jesus. Turning away from however we are living to follow the one who will be our guide, the one from whom we will take our directions, the one that we will follow and live for and seek to love and not just know about, but to know him more and more. I'm so glad they had many years because through those years they showed us the validity and the, and, and the power of deepening a relationship with Jesus. In the last few years, Mr. B would sometimes uh, get on his phone, I assume, and, and manipulate his Facebook. And basically what he did, and, and it was so like B, he would just post scriptures. No commentary, nothing fancy, no, hey, how are you? Little children, let us love one another. And, and I thought, isn't, isn't that just who he is? Isn't that perfect? Always coming back to the word of God. I want to conclude our time together now with a short poem that I know that Franklin was found, fond of reciting. And he must have been fond of it because I can remember it to this day without having ever read it anywhere. It encapsulates the very heart and soul that they had as they proved their faith through their actions. They walked their talk. It was taken from a, a poet named Edwin Markham and called Outwitted. He drew a circle that shut me out. Heretic, rebel, a thing to flout. But love and I had the wit to win. We drew a circle and took him in. Amen. Franklin and Shirley drew big circles in their lives. And they took in people everywhere. They were some of the most inclusive people I knew. Even when it was inconvenient, even when it was tiresome, even when it was costly, and even when it was risky. They showed people the love of God that they professed. And as they did that, they were able to pour into countless numbers of people who have gone on and done the same thing with those in their lives. May we live our lives drawing big circles right alongside theirs. Being for others what they were for us and what they are for us and living out the love of God so people will be drawn to him as they see him in and through us, just like we've seen him in and through Franklin and Shirley. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious Father, we, we are so indebted to you for the way that you have revealed yourself to us. Today, we are especially aware of the way that you revealed yourself through the lives, through the words, through the love of Franklin and Shirley. Father, we are indebted to them, but really indebted to you for using them in our lives. Thankful that our paths crossed some so many years ago and some more recently, but that we have all been blessed in a way to be able to learn and grow from their example, from their lives.
and that we have been, by that, challenged to pass that on to people in our lives so that their influence and their wealth and, and everything that they've done might not stop with us, but would extend to generation after generation. Father, they are like those planted in your court, bearing fruit in old age. And even after they are gone from here, that fruit is going to continue to reproduce. Oh, Father, make us the Franklins and Shirleys in the lives of those around us so that they will understand the love of God even as we have. Again, Father, bless this family. Give them great comfort and assurance in knowing that this is not the end. This is a change of address and a time that we wait until we are together again. And for that, we'll give you thanks and glorify your name. In the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for being here with us today. Uh, I know the family is glad, happy for your participation, just being here. Make sure you say something to them if you get the opportunity before you leave today. God bless you. God bless you as you go. But you don't go empty-handed. You've been given something to give to someone else. Just as it was passed to you, will you be intentional about passing it on to people in your lives so that the legacy of Franklin and Shirley Bixler won't stop here, but will ripple into eternity. God bless you all.